Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I'm very excited today to bring you a show that I have tried to bring you for the last quarter. And for some reason, every time we've tried to do this show, there's been some interruption in schedule and health and wellness and in the ability to do it. So no matter what's happening, we're doing it today. The gentleman you're about to meet, I met on Twitter. His name is John Murphy. He is the founder of a company called Let Us Evolve. And one of the reasons that I became interested in what he's doing is that he has a whole systems approach to creating sustainable food, minimizing the amount of space that's used. He has something called a DAP system, a deployable aquaponic planter system. All the systems are growing food vertically. He has a commercial and a personal side. He's in Houston, Texas. I thought it would be interesting to interview him this week because many of us are concerned about efficient ways of getting fresh food wherever we are. We are facing food production problems all over the world. The cost of food has grown up exponentially. Our population has grown as well. Our natural resources are considered strained by some, and it's taking more land, water, and energy to provide food for our population. And so a lot of people are looking for sustainable ways to grow food. We have done a piece on hydroponics. This is aquaponics. Without further ado, let's welcome John Murphy to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Good morning. Well, first thing I want to do is I want to talk to you about this particular system, and I want you to really explain. You say that the DAP system can be used either aquaponically, hydroponically, or soil-based. I want you to explain that and explain how it works so that the listeners really get it. As far as aquaponically, um, I guess I can go ahead and explain that since it's, it's the newer of the three, I would say, as far as what people know. Um, aquaponics is where you basically take a hydroponic system which hydroponics is where you have a, a nutrient tank, which is a reservoir tank, and you you grow plants in a water, or excuse me, in a soilless medium with water. And so um, it's basically recirculating nutrient-rich water over uh, gravel or some other kind of growing medium. And the plants grow in this, and they get their nutrients from the water and not soil. And so with aquaponics, um, you add a fish tank to the mix. So the, the tank in hydroponics that has nutrient solution in it, you get rid of that and you replace it with a fish tank, and then the fish waste actually becomes the source of the fertilizer for all the plants in the system. Um, as far as how the DAPs can be used soilly, um, you can actually remove both of the two systems, the, the water uh, as it is, and you can fill up the whole system with dirt. And so you can actually just plant directly into the planter walls and, and have a, a, a dirt-based model to where you don't have to have a pump and fish and, and nutrients and, and all these things. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your fish tank as if it's a separate part of a growing system. Can it be? It can. The, the beauty of the DAP system and why it's deployable is because it is an all-in-one unit. Um, Traditional hydroponic systems, aquaponic systems, they operate to where you have a, a grow bed and you have a separate fish tank or reservoir for your nutrient solution or your liquid fertilizer. And with the DAP system, we actually combine it all in one to where the, the foot or the base of the unit is actually the aquarium or reservoir. 
and then the the upper half of the system is the planter and and so it's it's all in one it all takes up one footprint and you don't have to uh, i guess the, the same space traditionally uh especially in aquaponics um the aquarium and the growth space are are usually balanced so if you have a 200 gallon aquarium you'd have a 200 gallon growth space and so you're basically taking up the same amount of space just for the water to fertilize the plants and in our systems it takes up uh, half the space, if you will, and you can actually maximize more yields out of it because it's growing vertically. What about the fish that are in this tank? For example, I notice you have two types of systems. You have a commercial system and you have a personal system. Mm-hmm. And the personal system seems very small. So what are these fish doing? I mean, they're not in a normal habitat. Well, I, I think the better way to answer that would be the different types of fish that you can use in, in the systems, in the small-scale systems and the large-scale systems. Okay. Um, typically, the ones you'll use in the small-scale systems, like we have a, a five-plant system, a 10-plant, 30-plant, and a 60-plant. And I would say in the in the 5, 10, and 30-plant systems, you would use like a goldfish or some people can use like freshwater prawns. Um, a small fish to where it's it's obviously larger than a, a fish bowl or goldfish bowl you'd see on the counter somewhere. Um, like the large system has a, a thirty gallon capacity for the for the aquarium. And so you, you just have typical pet store fish that are inside of their breeder fish. Um, in my opinion, they're in a lot better environment than they are at the store, getting poked at by little kids and. Um, you can grow fish to be raised for food, or you don't have to eat them. Um, and, and so they're. They definitely scale up as the systems get larger and the fish get larger. And I know it's not a, a river or a lake or a stream, but it's, it's definitely, I think, on the plus side of where you get the fish from in the first place, as far as like a fish farm or a pet store or something like that. How is it different from a fish farm? It's different in the sense that uh, you had asked me when we first talked about farm-raised fish and how you're supposed to steer clear of it and it's the worst thing on the in the planet and. Um, and I agreed with you on that. And the difference is with these systems is in, in the fish farm atmosphere, what they have to do is they have a very high buildup of ammonia and toxins, and they have to discharge that water, that buildup, um, somewhere. They have to take it out of the system because they're, they're filtrate, there's not a natural filtration system built into the system, into the fish farm to, to regulate it. And that's, that's the aquaculture side of aquaponics. Aquaponics stands for uh, aqua, aquaculture and hydroponics. So what they do is they discharge that, and they, they usually put it off in the nature in some river or lake or something and, and, and put a big strain on the environment when they discharge this stuff. But in the aquaponics system, what happens is, is the, the plants actually filter out that, that waste as nutrient solution and then the plants return clean water back to the fish. And so there's this harmonious cycle that has been employed by nature, and it's been around since the dawn of time, that this is how you know every body of water in our world exists, is there's, there's always a plant matter there to balance out the negative effects of the, of the fish waste. And then in return, the plant matter uh, provides oxygen back to the fish so that they can live and be happy. How come the plants are able to live? There's two main bacteria at play in aquaponics. Um, the first one, ammonia, attracts what's called nitrite. And then once the nitrite population builds up, they attract what's called nitrates. And the nitrates is what basically processes the fish waste from its, its, its origin to where it can be readily available to the plants and be taken up to be used as nutrients. 
Um, what we do to take it a step further in our DAP systems is we have designed a an active biofilter, and we call it active because we actually it, it's it's basically a a, a grow bed um, in a sense. It's got um, like a growing medium in it, like rocks or some type of gravel, and we put worms into the mix. Um, and those worms go to work and they, they digest fish waste and they make it more readily available to the plants while at the same time providing more nutrients for the plants that, that they can't get from anything else. And so um, the worms working with the nitrates, it, it, it just the way nature does is, is it processes everything down, makes it completely available and readily uh, to be taken up by the plants. How so interesting. It, How... it, it is. It's fascinating. It really is. How long did it take you to put the whole system together so that it works? The, the idea came to me probably a little over a year ago, and uh, I'd say within a few weeks I had found the materials to build a prototype out of just stuff I could get, you know, off the, just at the store or whatever. And um, within, I think, three, three prototypes later, because um, I made major improvements in between each prototype, um, it was probably, I'd say, a total in all, maybe two to three months, um, maybe four months tops as far as getting it to what we have now. Have you used it to grow your own food? Yes, yes, I have. Talk to us about what you're growing for yourself. We've grown tomatillos. Those are, if you live in the south, they look like a, a green tomato. They've got a husk on them, um, usually what salsa verde is made out of. Uh, tomatillo, we've done tomatoes, lettuce, green beans. Um, I've got broccoli going in my system now because the winter months. <clears throat> um, let's see what else we've got: cilantro, um, bell peppers. There's some really nice bell peppers. Um, we've grown all kinds of stuff, and uh, the interesting thing is, is the aquaponic model, like I said, has been around since the dawn of time. Um, it's just been more modern times that we've taken what nature does, and and they uh, it provides aquatic plants for the fish in the same body of water um, where we call them like seaweeds or algaes or something like that, which is normally in, in the lakes and ponds. And we've taken that same model and when we contain it in an aquaponic system, instead of using algae and seaweed or whatever to filter the water, we can actually use edible plants. And so there's some guys in Australia that actually grow uh, fruit trees in these systems. And one guy in particular had two papaya trees they grew so much fruit on them that they ended up snapping in half, and uh, the trees couldn't support themselves because they were in a one-foot <laughs> bed. That's and a good problem. Off and, you know. <laughs> so a lot of people, if you, if you talk to some people about aquaponics, they'll tell you that it is only specific for leafy greens and strawberries, and that is completely the wrong conception because you can grow absolutely anything in these systems. and. Um, as far as what I've been able to grow, I've been doing everything on a budget, like absolute budget, um, to, to try and get this project to where it is. And um, after I grew bell peppers, after I grew tomatoes and, and all the plants I just told you about, I called the local hydroponics store and I was asking them about uh, artificial lighting because I have some T5 lights on, on my system, which are, um, it's, it's basically a, a higher efficient bulb of what you normally see in a fluorescent tube. I'm somewhat, or I was somewhat new to the artificial lighting side, and so I called the local hydroponic store and was talking to them, and, and they said that the bulb that I have is the absolute worst bulb that you can use <laughs> for uh, 
for um, hydroponic growing or, or aquaponic growing. And so all the plants that I told you that I was able to grow, I actually grew them with the worst bulb that I possibly can. And so the guy started telling me about all the specific lights for the system that I have and said that if I, he said that I couldn't even fruit with the bulb that I had. And I was actually growing bell peppers and I sent him some pictures of the bell peppers. And he said he'd never seen that before or someone actually got plants of fruit off of that type of light. So I told him what system I was doing and, and, and he just said that it had to be a highly highly fertile system to actually make that happen. And when I, you know, I told him I had fish in it and whatnot, and he was somewhat aware of aquaponics, but he just, he was pretty uh, ecstatic that I was actually able to grow fruit in there with the bulbs that I had. You know, speaking of lighting, that was going to be my next question, which is how do you get the sun's energy and frequencies into your system? The easiest answer to that is, is you can have them outdoors. Um, if you're going to have them indoors, then you definitely have to supplement the lighting. And what I've learned through doing all this is uh, the lighting is if, if not, it is equally important as far as the nutrients and everything in the system, um, as far as the fertilizers and whatnot, because you can have a very fertile system and not have the right lighting and you won't grow anything. Or if you do, they'll be real wilty and not strong. Isn't that amazing? I've done two shows on light. And I cannot believe the breadth of information and new knowledge about light that we have now. Well, you know, after everything I've learned, I, and you look at atomically, everything is just wavelength of light. Um, I've just, I, I really tried to uh, focus on being a, a lightitarian, if you will, and, <laughs> and just trying to take in as much light as I can from the world around me, whether that's nutrient-rich food or um, very clean air, clean water, that kind of thing. And, and I just, something inside of me says that atomically those things that are humanely harvested and, and, uh, just, just things that are done right with integrity, like for some reason, my body just says that those are, are more light rich than other things. The fish you put in your system, do they swim around with any light or are they in darkness? The prototype systems we've done, they actually have light. Um, and that's something we're working on because there's, there's a fine line between where you let too much light in because the way our systems work is, is the roots actually penetrate the sides of the walls. And in the prototype systems, the roots actually hang down on the side of the wall, and then there's a mister on the inside, and that mister waters the roots, and then the water runs back down into the aquarium. And so it's an all-in-one system. Um, the retail model, what we're doing is uh, – at least we're, we're working on a couple of developments, but the one right now is, uh, is that the, the actual internal wall is uh, a few inches thick, and it has a growing medium inside of that wall. And so the roots would actually grow into that growing medium, and then, uh, and then they would uh, be covered up, I guess, from the inside light inside of the system. So you have two issues um, as far as lighting the inside of the system for the fish. Is one is, is only so much light can hit the roots, before the roots will get damaged. And then the other is, is only so much light you can hit the water before you grow algae. And some people argue in a, in a traditional aquaponic system that algae is just another part of nature being there and, and regulating the system and it's okay. Some people argue that algae robs nutrients from the system um, and that it's an issue and then it's, a, it's an aesthetic issue too, that it just doesn't look pleasing. And so we're, we're balancing these things out. And personally, I don't believe that algae rob 
that much nutrient from the system, especially if you can grow the amount of food that we've been able to grow out of these systems. Um, but that's something that we're definitely balancing. But to answer your question, in the prototype system, the fish have light right now. In the in the retail model that we're uh, finishing up right now, um, they will have some light too. We're just trying to figure out how much is, is enough and how much isn't. I have a funny question. You know how we have a circadian rhythm? Yes. Okay, I wonder if the fish do. You if know, that's true, they can't be flooded with light 24-7. So what do you think? Oh, well, see, that's an issue, too, though, is the plant can't be flooded with light 24-7 either, or else, um, you know, it, it can bring harm to it. Or Some people will say that the, the plant integrity is, isn't as good, and um, if you light it 24 hours a day, like, it'll grow faster, but it'll be weaker. Um, and see, there's an issue, too, though. Um, whenever you get to the point to where the plant actually has buds on it and it starts uh, budding and, and blooming, um, everybody across the board agrees either 12 hours on, 12 hours off with the lights, or 16 on and, and 8 off. And um, and actually, some actually say 18 on and 6 off. But there there is definitely a down period with the lights, um, regardless with the plants. So, and that that's another, you know, fascinating part of the system is you can't do anything uh, or everything you do to the plants directly affects the fish and vice versa. They're all connected. It's like the old-fashioned stereo. It's all in one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, if one thing goes off, though, the whole system's affected. It's interconnected like life. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, it, these systems are just amazing because I tell people all the time that growing in an aquaponic system is as close to nature is what we can do as humans um, next to permaculture, like the, the food forest type mentality. And I want you to explain what permaculture is too. Permaculture in its simplest form is the idea that you can walk into a national forest and it didn't take a man, a Johnny Appleseed, to go there and plant every single seed in a row to make that forest be there and turn on irrigation systems and, and it's watered and sustained. And um, Permaculture is the idea of like, and, and I don't know um, the exact breakdown of the word, but the way I've always understood it is permanent culture. And uh, in the sense that it just takes care of itself. You set it up once and, and then the system regulates itself. Um, nobody has to water the forest. You know, nobody has to go out there and prune the trees back and, and all these things. And, and so permaculture is like the ultimate sustainability um, in a sense that, that nature is doing what it does best. It is evolving. It is replenishing. It's giving back. It balances. Um, there is no monoculture in permaculture. And uh, same thing, you know, with aquaponics. Is people uh, think, well, hey, I'm going to get an aquaponic system. I'm going to load my system up with fish, and, and I'll have one plant, but I'll have a thousand fish. And, and that one plant's going to be huge, and it's going to bear the biggest tomatoes. And it, it just doesn't work that way. All the fish end up killing each other off. And the system has to balance itself out. And uh, and so permaculture just always does that. It takes care of itself. It gives back when something's taken. And, and uh, it's just, it, it is the most stable, sustainable system out there. Does the aquaponic community fear you or welcome you or neither? You know, we've gotten good and, I mean, we've received good and bad criticism, I guess. Um, I think... Some people, I mean, the initial was, is, well, you can't grow, you know, food like we're talking about in these systems. And, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a it's an ignorant statement to say something's not possible because I haven't seen it. And 
Um, I mean, there's people been doing this for a long time. Um, like I said, the guys over in Australia, um, I mean, they grow all kinds of stuff out of their systems. We've grown stuff out of our systems on, on very, very poor circumstances because of the financials that we had, yet we were still successful with what we grew. And, and like I said about the lighting and whatnot, um, I think some people don't understand our model because it is untraditional. Um, most most systems, they like to, to grow vertically, or excuse me, horizontally in a linear space, and so they take up a lot more space, and they, they, they get a lot less yields out of it. Um, the traditional hydroponic model is uh, is more of like a, oh, like a specialty, and, and so um, the systems have been traditionally a lot more money, too. I mean, I, I would say our systems are probably about a third to half is as much of the cost as everybody else's, yet you're getting more yields out of our systems. They take up less space and they're more sustainable. And uh, I think we've rattled some people's cages because we've seen that we can do something that, that they're not able to do. And um, some people just like to be old fashioned and you know, like to be orthodox about things. And um, But I, I don't know. I think generally we've been accepted pretty well, though, because of the times that we're in and, and what we can do and where we can do it. And and how we can do it, and, you know, it's just, uh, most of the hydroponic people that I've talked to directly think it's fascinating. They just put fish in the water and feed their fish, and they don't have to go to the store and buy expensive nutrient solution for their hydroponic systems, and um, in the hydroponic system, too, you have to discard water all the time because you have a buildup of minerals and salts and stuff, and so um, it just, yeah, I, I think we've been welcomed pretty well, actually. The essence of your system, as I understand it, is maximum efficiency and effectiveness in using the natural resources of all the different elements, the plants, the fish, the nutrients, dealing with toxins, all of that, that this is so far a template of the highest, best use to produce food. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think it is and that's what i was saying next to the permaculture model like if you have a couple of acres and you're able to to do it the way nature does it then then go for it i mean we love that that concept but this is the closest thing to creating a national forest in your backyard or in your house or your bedroom as you can get and uh yes i mean this system is is it and um it's just, it's a beautiful system. I mean, it's nature doing what it does best. When nature is able to naturally regulate itself, it just works. And, uh, I mean, <clears throat> you know, mo- most people you talk to about aquaponics, too, is they'll, they'll tell you they have a lot of fish loss and they do all these things. And we started off conservatively in our test, and uh, we didn't jump in and load our systems up. And um, and so we haven't, you know, people ask me, well, how many fishes, or <laughs> how many fish have you lost? in the process and and you know we lost one fish in all of our testing and that was on the way home from the store it actually died in the bag and i felt pretty bad i always feel bad i feel bad for fish in general (laughs) yeah yeah i feel really bad for them i want to talk a little bit about tilapia Uh because most of us love that fish to eat and yet it's one of the dirtiest most toxic fish aside from the mercury laden fish we don't need to mention but it's really dirty and toxic, even though we like it. Is tilapia in the ocean? Are you saying natively? Yeah. My understanding, and every picture I've ever seen or read about tilapia is like in the Nile River. Um, that it's a, it's a very 
um, cramped fish, like close quarter fish, low oxygen, really murky environment. Um, a lot of the pictures you'll see is like where there's no water in the river at all, but there's just thousands and thousands of fish just on top of each other. And because of that, I think that's why it's one of the favorites for fish farming is because it's been technically bred to take abuse and take all these severe conditions and worst case scenarios. And, and so it's just a really, really tough fish. Like one of the only things that will really kill it is, uh, is temperature. And like in, you know, at least in Texas where I'm at, um, they say, you know, just you buy them in the spring and they die off in the fall. They won't actually make it through our winters. I think under 55 degrees, it'll kill it. But it's just a really, really tough fish. I often ask myself, where do you get these things? They can't all be homegrown. They had to have started somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's no chicken or egg. It's like, was there ever really this kind of fish, or is this a GMO thing that got started? I couldn't find it. I looked and looked and looked. <laughs> well, they they do genetically engineer them, too, and, and I almost uh, bought some unknowingly. And, you know, I, I, was, I was like, oh, I found a contact in, in New Mexico, and, you know, give me some tilapia, and and uh, found out that they're all genetic males, and um, I just wasn't really thrilled about the humane practices that they did on their fish because they said they threw away like 30% of their stock, and it was just a really, like, I guess they breed them as males because they grow faster, and, and uh, there's certain traits, and, and they want them all to be uniform and just the perfect fish, and they don't reproduce. You have to, you know, of course, go back and buy them from them, and, um, but... I mean, I, that's that's kind of a whole other ball game, the, the tilapia ball game, as far as where to get them, how to how to keep them, and um, like in Texas and in, in most states um, that I'm familiar with, is they are considered an exotic species and uh, invasive, and um, you can get in really big trouble, at least in Texas, if you were caught like carrying a fish without a permit. Um, they they're really more harsh on you than you are if you were caught with drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I mean, and I, I actually made the joke with the game warden because I was talking to the Parks and Wildlife Department in Texas, and, and he's like, "Well, yeah, you could get caught with like a pound of, of marijuana on you, but if you got caught with one tilapia without a permit, you would be in trouble." <laughs> it's a wild world we live in. Yeah, you know, and, and then the guy told me that they were basically already in all of our lakes and streams in Texas, so it was just like, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I think tilapia has a very interesting history, but we won't spend time on this. Yeah. <laughs> it's always been an interesting and suspect fish to me. Now I know why. I don't even know the half of it, and it's just, it's pretty wild. We better leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a moment about hydroponics, because I was in love with hydroponics. The whole thought of having a soil-less medium you know, not using soil to get food. But it sounds like it's only a part of the solution. Hydroponics is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, like I said, some fundamentalists would argue that that uh, it, it's better than aquaponics because you can only, quote-unquote, grow certain things in aquaponics. But when you really explore the aquaponic model, you can grow everything under the sun. Um, the The main issues... I would say with the hydroponic model is, is one, the water usage. Um, you have to discard the water um, every so often, and you get buildups of salts and minerals, and so it doesn't balance itself out. And so you could say that, okay, well, to you know, 
10 gallons of water to grow 100 pounds of, of produce. And traditionally in soil farming, it might take 100 gallons of water to grow 100 pounds of produce. And these are just really thrown out their numbers, hypothetical, just for conversation's sake. Um, whereas in the aquaponic model, it could take like two gallons of water to grow 100 pounds of produce. And so you, you have water waste there, which, you know, in certain parts of the world, I mean, especially this past year, I mean, we've had some really, really bad droughts. And I read one statistic that Texas alone experienced uh, over $5 billion in crop losses due to drought. And so um, the hydroponic model would definitely help those things, but the aquaponic model would help it even more because it balances itself. You never have to get rid of the water, um, that kind of thing. Um, as far as other issues with the hydroponic model, um, the, the fertilizer, the, the nutrient solution, as they call it, um, that's something that you have to go out and you have to purchase. And a lot of those things aren't created in the most sustainable way. And Hold on one second. I'm sorry. I want to bring you back. When you say they're not created in the most sustainable way, the reason I want to stay here with you is this is used a lot in conversation, you know, in the green context. Mm -hmm. In the essence of what you're saying, I get it, and I'm sure the listener gets it. I want to know what you mean in the detail. What does that mean? As far as my definition of sustainable, it goes back to the permaculture mentality as far as giving and taking. Um, I think at the end of the day, we as humans need to minimize or excuse me, minimize our, uh, our consuming. Um, I just think we plan consume too much. And so sustainability to me is, is like the permaculture model is to where you're not constantly giving, you know, or excuse me, taking you, but, but you're giving back. And so um, there is that give and take. There's that just mutual uh, coincidence like to where we are living together, operating together. So sustainability to me, especially when it comes to food, is to get it in the most natural system possible. And so so when you're talking about hydroponics and if you're having to buy a, a nutrient solution every so often that is could or could not be synthetically made, um, even some of the organic ones, I'm not entirely sure that they're 100% like natural products um, that aren't somewhere like chemically engineered or, or something, but... Even beyond that, you've got the the uh, manufacturing of the plastic for the container that the nutrient solutions in. You've got the trip to the store. You've got the hydroponic store. I mean, you've got all these variables. You've got the company that had to sell it to the middleman that had to sell it to the store. I mean, so there's all these things. And in my head, the idea is to break away from that. And so I guess the thought of being free from those systems, that consumerism system, um, that's sustainable in my head. Okay, I get it. That's a very, very good explanation. Okay. <laughs> I get it. No, I get it. Throughout life, I've I've learned to really be a minimalist. And uh, and I guess, to me, I, I believe that I'm trying to be as sustainable as I can. The things that I don't have control over, um, like I, I believe in being a conscious consumer and so that I can buy better products or humanely produce products or things with integrity, shop at stores where the employees are treated properly, that kind of thing. And so there's, there's this, always this indirect responsibility that I feel that I have to the planet and the world around me. And, um, and so it just, it's all about, I guess, at the end of the day, being able to, to tally up everything that, that you did or what, where, you know, what you interacted with and where it came from and how it was treated. And, and uh, and so sustainability for me is that, but a lot of people, I think, use the word sustainability to get behind the culture of it. And I'm not so much 
about the culture of it is as I am doing it. Yeah, I get it. I love what you're saying and what you're about. I share everything you're saying with you. I'm sure many people who listen to A Train Making Time share it as well, at the very least can appreciate it. It would be very interesting at some point to have a lab do a test on the nutrient density of the food that's grown through your system and hydroponics. I would love that, and I'm all for it, honestly, because I want to I wanna know. I think that would be very helpful, too, as a feedback system. I would say that would really close the loop, you know? Definitely, definitely. And just to, to touch on that real quick, um, there's a guy named Joel Salatin. Um, he was in a movie called uh, Fresh the Movie and uh, Food, Inc., and, of course, everyone, I think, knows that one. But um, his food, and he, he believes in the permaculture model, and he's one of those people that has land to be able to do the permaculture system the way you know it should be done. And um, he sent some of his food samples off, like his meat samples from his pigs and his cows to get tested. And he said that the traditional, uh, excuse me, the traditional tests that were in play by the USDA and, and all the food companies to get tested on these systems that his, his products that he sent actually scored off the charts for their systems. Like the needle was literally off the paper because their systems weren't calibrated to take the nutrient content that his, his food had. And I always thought that was fascinating because he let nature do what it does best. And our, system, you know, our tests that they use every day for these types of things weren't even calibrated to take what the natural system can produce. Wow, and, that's uh, exciting. That is, is really exciting. Just all these minerals and things that we don't get, minerals and vitamins that we just don't get that are nowhere in our food or they're in what we expect, what the textbooks say that, you know, a, a, a peanut has this amount of whatever in it. Like, I mean, it's just none of that exists in, in the natural system. Like, everything is subject to what is put into it. So... It's like when this guy, you know, when Joel went and got his stuff tested, I mean, his food was just off the charts, literally. Like, their systems weren't calibrated to take it. And and so, yeah, I mean, I welcome a test on our systems where we're actually growing the the, the fish food. And, and, I mean, there's a full circle system, and we hadn't actually talked about that yet. That's fantastic. So what would it take right now for the average person to buy one of your systems and then, I guess, to be trained to use it? You know, the learning curve is actually... It's not very bad. I mean, it's, um, we we kind of laugh. It's as simple as having an aquarium. Like your kids could actually run this system. Um, I was in a I was in a very um, unstable state, like with my health, when I developed this system, and I, I developed it to have fresh food at the house, and I live in an apartment without having a full back you know backyard and a garden and whatnot, and so. I was able to start and run the system on, on a whim, if you will, without a lot of maintenance and whatnot. And I literally just fed the fish and looked at the plants a little bit each day, and, and, it, and it ran. Um, so to answer your question, um, you said, as far, or go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, what's it take to get started in a personal system? We're not talking commercial now. Okay. Um, basically it would be to, to purchase a unit and then, um, you put your grow medium in and the, the best way is to let the system sit for a couple weeks. Um, the bacteria that we were talking about earlier, the nitrites and the nitrates, those exist in the air and they need to show up and they need to start getting to work. Um, cause you, you can't just take fish and throw them in, in water and expect them to live. Like there has to be a balance there. 
Um, and so if those bacteria aren't present initially, then the fish the waste that they produce, the plants can actually take that up. Now, one thing we're experimenting with is if we can, from the get-go, from setup, if we can go ahead and put the worms into the system, and if the worms themselves can digest down the fish waste and go ahead and make it readily available to the plants from day one, and that's something we're working on testing right now. But it's it's a very simple process. You'd get a system, um, and you get your plants, whether you want to raise them from seedlings, and you put the plants in on day one. And um, what we like to do initially is run the system on seaweed extract because it's like an organic fertilizer. Um, there's not anything else in it except liquid seaweed, and it's it's packed full of minerals and all these things. And so you can you can supplement that in the system, like a capful a day, or depending on the size of the system that you have. And you do that for the first couple months just to help it out. And you don't even have to do that, honestly, but it's just something to help it out. And uh, and you feed your fish, you know. And it's it's just it's really that easy at the end of the day. Um, is to just feed your fish, and the fish will take care of the plants, and the plants take care of you, and so it's just a, it's a part of that that circle, that full system. Okay, I have a couple more questions. So, in terms of air filtration, if you're doing this in an apartment, do you need an air filtration device? I haven't had any issues. Um, mind you, I didn't come into this industry from like someone I knew someone that did it and whatever. I, I basically figured this stuff out on my own and figured out that okay, well. There's hydroponics, that's aquaponics, and um, it was all uh, stuff that I had to learn. And um, as far as the filtration systems, and you might know more about this than I do. I'm more speaking the air filtration, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I'm talking about too. Um, the only time I, I've actually heard of people using the air filtration systems is when they're growing something in their house that they don't want anyone else to know they're growing. <laughs> I would understand that, but I also know that homes and apartments and condos, there's dust. Yeah. There's just natural dust that's in the air, and materials have dust on them and particles on them. So that's why I'm asking. It's not like you're growing it outside. Not that, by the way, we don't have a lot of things in the air outside, particularly spraying programs and the like, but maybe there'll be an optimized recommendation for air filtration systems and all that, too. As far as using the plants to filter the air or filtering Yeah, I'm just air. talking about when you're doing it internally, indoors. Maybe it comes as an addition that someone can add some yeah. type of air filtration unit or ionization unit. I don't know what it is. I thought you were talking about the opposite, like filtering the air that the plants are producing. Because that's typically what hydroponics does, but that's because they're growing you know, crops that are illegal in their yeah, area. No, I meant more of the air in your place. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry. My misunderstanding. No um, problem. I actually, and, and this is what I've told some people too, because they've asked, well, what's the air like? What's that room like? You know, um, I would say the air is actually fresher in that room because you are getting all those plants in a, in a concentrated area. Um, I mean, there's been studies done to where, you know, just having a couple of plants around the room, a couple of ivies or something, bring fresh air and reionize things and, and just, um, just make you feel at peace, you know, just kind of a zen atmosphere. And, uh, I mean, honestly, I've been... I've been caught in that room staring at that at the prototype system just for hours, like just in a in a hypnotic like uh, hypnotized state, just sitting there staring away, looking at the plants, and uh, it's hard for me to get out of that room sometimes because <laughs> I enjoy it so much. Great. And then when I do that also, that always comes with uh, just a bunch of text messages of like photos that I just took of all the plants to my friends. Like, 
you got to see this, you got to see that. And it's like, I just sent him pictures the day before, but to me, you know, it's just, it's fascinating. Well, I want you to know that I really appreciate what you've done and what you're about. And I know the struggle it's been to finally get you on the show. I love what you're doing and I support it and I support you. And I'm intending that people around the world will order from you and will get involved and will also be involved in purchasing as many units as they need. John, I, I really want to thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Well, first, I want to say thank you for everything you just said, and I really appreciate the opportunity. And, and like you said, everything we, we've gone against to, to get to this point. Um, secondly, um, I'd like to have them directed to the website, too, which is just letevo.com, L-E-T-E-V-O. Um, it's, it's in the works. We're, we're finalizing some content. Um, everything should be good to go in a couple of days, and that'll be there. One last thing as far as the permaculture aspect of the aquaponic system that uh, we hadn't brought up yet that I wanted to make sure everyone knew is, is with the fish food, that's typically a variable that people ask about too. Well, you know, it's sustainable, but you have to buy fish food. And the easiest answer to that is, and it's the one that I love to say, is you start a compost pile, you raise your own composting worms, you take those worms, you feed them to the fish. The fish provide food for your plants. The plants provide food for you. You take your scraps from the plants. You put it back in the compost pile and complete the circle. And so then your fish food is sustainable too. That's fantastic. <laughs> that really is. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to John Murphy. He is the founder of Let Us Evolve, and he has come up with, a deployable aquaponic food system that you can order commercially and personally. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.